Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Nick DeCastro is the founder and CEO of Land Trust. Land Trust is a Montana-based company that is simply interested in providing access to private grounds. They figured out that there is a value add to farmers, to ranchers, to private landowners if they can sell access to individuals that want to hunt, whatever that may be. And that whatever is determined by the private landowner. On the roundup last week, Matt Ronella called out the land trust and saying that he didn't quite understand the model and didn't quite like the model. And so, because of who we are, we wanted to have Nick on the podcast to state his point, to say why Land Trust isn't taking away public access, but rather providing it. All right, so listen. Whenever someone gets called out on a podcast, especially ours, I always want to reach out to the individual and say, hey, just FYI, you got, you got called out. Uh, but also want to hear from them, right? We want to hear their perspective. We want to hear their opinion. We want to hear their position. And um, it, it's really important to us from Blood Origins because we like to hear both sides of the equation, both sides of the story. And on a, a roundup with a fairly controversial individual that we like to tend, we tend to have him on, you know, semi-regularly, Matt Ronella, because he has some very interesting uh, viewpoints. 
he mentioned that he dislikes. Dislike would be an appropriate term, Nick? It's, it seemed that way. Seemed that way. He disliked an organization called Land Trust because Land Trust was going in and removing public access where he had public access uh, and made it pay to play, essentially pay to play private. True or not true, Nick? Uh, I'm going to have to go with not true there. I think the first statement was that Land Trust goes around and leases up all this land, which I appreciate, Robbie, having you having known us and understanding the business kind of gave a little bit of correction there. It's not at all what we do. So it was kind of a little rough start out of the gate there. I will say as an olive branch, I do appreciate one of the points that Matt made, which is I don't want to be living in fear and I want to speak mm. my mind. So I agree with that. And I think uh, kudos to him for, for doing that. I think it's important that we can have free discourse, even if it's something that we don't like. Um, so, I, you know, I will, I, will, I will give him kudos for that. But yes, it's, it is not true from the very kind of intro to land trust in that podcast. We don't, we don't do leasing of lands. We're simply a marketplace where private landowners can, you know, list their properties and activities that they want to host for the prices they want with the rules they want and allow the public to access their lands for outdoor recreation. Mm -hmm. So I think it brings up this concept of public access. Mm -hmm. Um, what we do facilitates public access of private lands. It is for a price, but you know, this public access term, you know, I'm not, when I book something on land trust or when anyone else does, I'm not their family member. I'm not their friend or neighbor. I don't know them. I am somebody from the general public and I'm able to go out and enjoy that property for a price. You know, it's like, look mm -hmm. at a golf course. There's public golf courses. You still have to pay to go use them. Um, mm -hmm. And so there is this, you know, too often public access is tied to free public access for everyone. That is a type of public access. But public access well, it's not technically yeah. free, right? Because you have to pay a license and you typically have totally. to pay a walk-in fee and all yeah. that kind of stuff, right? Yep, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. So, uh, yeah, we got off to a little rough start there with a misrepresentation of what we are, who we are, what we do. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's why we wanted to have you here. So, Nick DeCastro. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, Executive Director, President, CEO, all three of those titles of Land Trust. <laughs> Executive Director, it sounds like a, sounds like a college, uh, like a collegiate thing. No, I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of the company. Perfect, perfect. Well, give us a little bit of background on, on you and Land Trust. Sure. So uh, the, quick, the quick and dirty, uh, I grew up hunting, fishing, spearfishing, surfing, all that good stuff down uh, in Southern California. Gasp, everyone's going to... <laughs> mash their teeth and pull their hair out um so yeah i grew up down there i i grew up hunting since i was three or so all bird hunting over bird dogs so we grew up with britney spaniels and hunted a lot of quail and some chucker and some pheasant and all that kind of stuff um and uh you know found my way into the technology space uh, out of college so i went into the marketing and advertising technology space i was uh really early involved in kind of YouTube and social media advertising and selling that into big brands. And then uh, moved out to Colorado, I want to say like 15 or so, 2015, 2014, something like that. Really liked the mountains, lived in cities before that, you know, Boston, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, mm -hmm. LA, all the, all those places. Uh, got out to 
Colorado really liked the mountains. Um, but uh, Boulder just wasn't, I don't know if you've ever been to Boulder. Boulder is a tech scene startup. Um, if you like to fly fish, they're super into that. But if you like to hunt, it's maybe not so cool. Um, not their, diverse, not their <laughs> kind of diversity. That's right. Uh, more Patagonia than, let's say, Cabela's, mm-hmm. let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I moved up to uh, Bozeman in the end of 16. I had been up here a couple times uh, throughout my teenage years with my family doing fly fishing trips up kind of by Missoula and just loved it. And, you know, Bozeman was a, when I looked at Montana, Bozeman kind of made sense uh, because it has a technology scene. Um, So, you know, we do have startups here and there is a pool of engineering talent and as an outdoor recreation company, it's a pretty interesting place to start a company we've got you know we share a wall with matt's brother here uh the meat eater guys across the parking lot about 50 yards of sitka and onyx is in the other side of the parking lot and you know sims uh, fly fishing just down the street just got bought for whatever 190 million dollars by vista Mm -hmm. so bozeman is a really it's kind of a silicon valley of this outdoor recreation uh space i'd say so those all factored in. It's a very appropriate definition, the Silicon yeah. Valley of outdoor recreation. Yeah. So we have actually two companies that just got acquired by Vista. Stone Glacier was acquired, whatever, a few months yep. ago, six months ago, something like that, and Sims. Uh, so, yeah, we've got – there's a lot of people building really impactful things here in Bozeman. Now, for what we do specifically as a private lands company, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, maybe not the stronghold of the private lands movement – um, but you know what? I think uh, it's a great place to be and raise my family here and build an impactful business. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what brought me here today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a movement, Nick? Obviously, mm-hmm. the public land side of private land is definitely a movement. Is is yeah yeah yeah? Uh, no, I don't think it is yet. But I think there's an opportunity for us to really instigate that because. I know you and I have had conversations about this just kind of on the phone before, but private lands are an absolutely integral, crucial piece of uh, habitat, wildlife populations, access, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, You know, public lands are amazing. It's this weird thing that it's become this like you either like public lands or you like private lands. You should like them all. They're all great. Um, you know, public lands have a lot of strong voices advocating for them, which is great. Um, private lands don't necessarily have that, in my perspective. Right. Um, and right. look, public lands, uh, I think private lands in the lower 48 are three times the amount of public lands. And mm. they're often the most biodiverse, kind of incredible, rich habitat um, in the country because they were homesteaded for those reasons. You know, a lot of our wilderness areas in public lands are, you know, mountains and, you know, or deserts in Nevada that weren't arable land. So, you know, when when people move west, they homesteaded the lush river valleys and, you know, close to water and soils and all these things. So by the nature of it, private lands represent an enormously important uh, uh, chunk of the habitat uh, for wildlife here and a huge opportunity for access if you can figure out the right model. So. And what you figured out is essentially a value add model, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's our perspective. There's one point, gosh, 1.3 or 4 billion acres of private land in the U S um, farmers and ranchers. So production agriculture 
Uh, they own about 900 million of those acres. And, um, you know, if you can figure out a model, and it, in my perspective, it has to be a private market model, you know, um, where there is value exchange for both the people who want to come out and enjoy that land and the people who own and steward and work that land and have for generations. I think you're going to see a, a, a revolution of not only access, but of, uh, you know, it's the conservation opportunity for a lifetime, my perspective. So a lot of people would look at the North American model, right? The North American model, which we, we constantly say, um, Is, is is typically not a pay-to-play model, right? And uh, the the people that are the the the, the truests, right? The the the, sure. um, the you know the people who like live and die by the North American model. I'm 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 blanking on the word that I want to use right now, but they would say that this pay-to-play that the resource belongs to the people, right? And you should have mm. access to the resource, and that you. You know, it's this, they're in the same crowd that is if you, you know, paying $50,000, $80,000 for a sheep tag is not true to the North American model. Mm. Is that true to pay to play model in the, in the private land scenario? Uh, by the way, this absolutely fits into the North American wildlife model. Uh, it's funny. I was over at the sheep, uh, wild sheep foundation, uh, did a little thing here in Bozeman with Schnee's in town and. Um, I got to meet uh, Shane Mahoney over there and I was introduced, mm. you know, first of all, phenomenal beard and voice. Um, exactly. But he, he, uh, he was incredibly interested in what we're doing and he actually wants to put a panel together. And a lot of people would look to him as like the guy, you know, for the North America model. Um, certainly Correct. one of them. And I think we're going to put a panel together to have this discussion, but it absolutely does fit into the model. Um, this is you're paying for access and um, you're accessing private property. And I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty staunch believer in private property and private property rights. I think it's a cornerstone of the American dream without it. I don't, I don't want to imagine a, a world without private property rights. I think it's uh, been done a few times before it's all ended pretty badly. So mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is access to private land for outdoor rec. And unlike, um, you know, block management, where the way, the way they wrote the rules for block management, they say explicitly, this isn't for access, but we're going to pay you per hunter per day. Come on, you're paying for access for the public to go out and, you know. They don't, rip. they say this is explicitly not for access, but what's the whole point of the block management program? They say they're paying landowners for wear and tear. What is the wear and tear caused by? Wear and tear of what? The land. from Wild life people. people? People. The wear and tear for people going out onto people's farms the and people ranches. that are accessing the property. Correct. Why is there wear and tear? It's because people are accessing a property. You know, so, um, okay. you know, we're very, we're very explicit about that. This is, you're paying for access. And we have people who book people's places to go hunt or fish or forage mushrooms or shed hunt or whatever, stargazing, whatever their passion might be where they see that there's a resource and they'd like to have that for the day, for the week, whatever. So to Matt's point, is, are, are you, are you, let me, let me couch it like this maybe, to sure. Matt's point, being plain devil's advocate, are you possibly taking access away from people? Good that question. That couldn't, couldn't, couldn't afford it. Because if, for instance, what you're providing is a value add, right? Yep. So if farmer X 
is in block management, and block management, I assume, is paying him why. $13 Land per Trust hunter per goes, day. Yeah. Land Trust says, I can make you 50 bucks a day, 100 bucks a day, 200 sure. bucks a day. Sure. 99% of people are going to go, oh, hell yes. Yeah. So let's see. There's a couple things in there. Um, are we taking away access to, uh, to hunting? Um, and to hunting lands, let's put it that way. Uh, no, we're, uh, we're adding access to hunters and the hunting public. Uh, if we were putting up a gate, a toll booth in front of public lands and charging for accessing public lands, absolutely, you'd have a very concrete argument that we were removing access for public hunting. Um, mm -hmm. Now, and, and this is where I think there was a fundamental misunderstanding from Matt and the model that we have. Now, if we were doing what he said we were doing, if we were going around and saying, hey, landowner, here's 100 grand, we're leasing up your place. That's an outfitter, by the way, and we have nothing against outfitters. That's fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that is removing access to anyone else besides whoever comes through that lessor, the person who holds the lease. The reason why a lot of landowners have liked what we do is because we keep them 100% in control. So let's just say... You know, over in Matt's neck of the woods, uh, Miles City, there's a ranch that he had access to, right? He knew the landowner. He's been hunting mule deer there for years. Okay, great. They sign up with Land Trust. That landowner can say, hey, Matt, we're blocking out, whatever, November 1st to the 12th for you and your family. And we're going to book hunts, you know, the rest of the year. And we're going to book hunts for whatever, uh, grouse or, or mm -hmm. white-tailed does or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. So what land trust does is it allows a landowner to still say, hey, my family, my friends, my neighbors, whatever, I still want to block stuff off for those guys, but I want to sell the remnant inventory and, and do it in a way that's very simple for me. So that whole, oh, you know, I lost access to this ranch because of land trust. Well, I mean, in theory, it's possible the landowner can decide to stop letting you access their ranch today. They don't have to work with mm -hmm. land trust to do that. They can just mm -hmm. say, no, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so on the other side, by having that ranch come onto land trust now, there's a bunch of new hunting opportunity for the public, whether that person lives in, you know, South Florida, Missouri, Nebraska, or down the street to be able to come onto that ranch and enjoy an activity that they, you know, that they love with their friends and family for a day or a week or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is a net gain in access to the public for hunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, to Matt's point, and I think this is one of the things that we push back on, was in Montana specifically, and there's very, you may know better than I do, I don't know how many states offer this almost like walk-in program. I know South Dakota does, I know Kansas does, Kansas does how many yeah. states? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of them, North handful, Dakota. Right? Yeah, Six, North Dakota maybe. does too, yep. Mm -hmm. Six or seven. And so in that scenario, I could see what Matt says, that yeah, possibly land trust could remove access in the block program because the landowner values he wants you know he values a couple of things correct me here if i'm wrong number one he's going to get paid more than what state fish and wildlife agencies are probably going to pay him and two he has more control of the people the types of people when where and what they're doing exactly look starting out and building this company there's a couple points here um i didn't know production agriculture i didn't grow up in it uh, you know, I, I grew up hunting on different places and, you know, knocking on doors and all that good stuff, which that whole game has changed. And I've 
if it hadn't, I wouldn't have started the company. Um, but, you know, an argument that he had laid out, it's, it's funny, one of the first landowners in Montana that we had are the Combles. The Combles, phenomenal family, I can't remember, I think they're anywhere from three to fifth generation. They're in block management, they're still in block management. When we got to introduce them and talk to them, we did not try to talk them out of listing their hunting opportunity with land trust. We said, hey, you got a cool cabin here and you've got other activities like they've got horse corrals and whatever. Say, so, hey, list the lodging and like other activities on land trust and keep doing your hunting through block. They still are today. And they love, you know, they did it from an ethos perspective. They said, hey, look, we like having, sure. we like having our place open so that, you know, you can take kids out and all that stuff. And we said, that's fantastic. So the statement that says, if you're in land trust, you're not in block, that's categorically false and has been since we started the company. Um, but the other point that I, I found kind of odd is you guys got on the concept of, oh, well, land trust should ensure that they would never approach any landowner that could ever possibly, you know, get into a public program. Okay, well, that's an interesting concept to explore. Let's look at it in other categories. What about transportation? You know, his perspective was, well, if it wasn't for land trust, more people would be getting into block. It's like, okay, well, if it wasn't for Ford or GM, more people would be using public transportation. Yeah, you know, it, it, it just like, why would we have that conversation? Of course, the private market's going to compete with government run mm -hmm. programs. I want mm -hmm. to live in a world where that is the case. I do mm -hmm. not want to live in a world or a country where the only competition is the government. And mm -hmm. so absolutely, we compete with block. That's but we don't shy away from that. I don't think that's bad. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are going to mm -hmm. go with block, which is great. They're going to be people who go with us. But mm -hmm. I am for private markets. I'm for the free market. And for pri uh, private property and private property rights. We're not shy about that in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the scenario that is outside this whole like walk-in area. Sure. Because to me, that's where the access argument lies truly. Sure. Really, really. Because, you know, one of the things that is happening in today's hunting community is the lack of ability. The, the bar is raising every day for new hunters or existing hunters to continue hunting, right? The whole R3 movement, yeah. let's not call it R3, but access is like the tenant, the yeah. thing that is causing people to stop hunting or is causing people not to get into hunting because they're like, well, where am I going to hunt? Or they, or it's, yeah, it's interesting. So we're, we're uh, partnering with, uh, with John Dudley and, and we're already partners with HuntWise and uh, the parent company that owns HuntWise, Kalkamai. And this is exactly why. Uh, they're passionate about educating new hunters and bringing them in. I know that Matt hates the concept of that. You know, we don't, we like it, we think it's good. Um, but bringing new hunters into this, this sport, this passion, this hobby, um, if they don't have a place to go, they're not going to stay doing it very long. Like how, how many times is a brand new hunter going to go out and walk around, uh, you know, on public land with 30 or 40 other people there and not have any success, see any animals, get into awkward situations uh, before they say, you know what, I'm going to hang up the bow and I'm going to pick up some mm -hmm. golf clubs. I mean, just, mm -hmm. let's be honest. Why would you go out five, 10 times and have not quality experiences? And I'm not saying killing an animal, although that's, that's a quality experience. I'm just saying going out to enjoy the outdoors, you know, and get, 
get close to an animal or see things or not be tripping over people every 50 yards or jockeying to get to the front of the trailhead right, right. all these things right that's just especially for a new hunter for us experienced hunters and i'm i'm not presenting myself as some master hunter let's put that out there but especially for people who've been doing it for a while okay there's some sport involved in like you know out thinking and out strategizing and out hiking uh other people in public lands areas sure but that is not palatable for a brand new hunter. What we want to do is get them out there, enjoy like watching a sunrise, hearing animals, seeing things, getting close to like getting close to a deer your first time, whether you kill that deer or not is a, that's a, that's a, to me, that's like the jackpot moment. Like, whoa, I'm hooked. And if you're not hooked by that, you're probably still, yeah, if that doesn't doesn't hook you, then you're probably not, you shouldn't be hunting. Like, Getting close yeah. to animals or observing them and they don't know you're there, like that to me is, that's the beauty of it, right? Um, oh, for sure. Adrenaline rushes awesome. every single time. Yeah, so I, I think that private lands offer an opportunity, especially for that segment, to actually have success. Not killing an animal, maybe, and there is probably better odds of that. But I'm just saying success from the experience of hunting and the, way, the reason why a lot of us do it. Most of us don't have to kill animals to eat, feed our family, even though a lot of people like to claim that. It's probably more mm-hmm. expensive per pound when you factor in all the mm-hmm. costs. So, mm-hmm. you know, we see private land and the model that we've built as a really great piece of the puzzle. There's the education, there is that recruitment piece. You know, guys like uh, Calcomy and Huntwise are building these hunter education things for people who are adult onset hunters, is the term or whatever they use. But you know, guys like John Dudley are trying to teach him how to use a bow super effectively, right? Just be really technical. But all that is for naught if the, if they go out in the field and have terrible experiences a handful of times in a row. Like I said, they're just going to hang it up and go play golf. I'm sure Matt would say, excellent. That is the best outcome we could have. We don't believe that. We believe that there should be more people hunting. And, you know, it isn't a zero sum game of public lands. Like, yeah, if you add a hundred, uh, you know, a hundred thousand more hunters onto public lands, okay, you are going to feel that pressure. Like around the Bozeman area, public lands are swamped. Um, But if you go tap into the private lands, there is an enormous amount of access and opportunity. We've already added a million acres onto the platform that were not open to the public to go hunting before. So we keep on that path. You had 25, 30, 40, 50 million acres of private lands that are now open to people to be able to go and do these things and have these experiences. I see that as a positive. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. So you guys have been going for, what, two or three years now, Nick? Getting close to three, yeah. It's getting pretty close. Are you in most states? Like, are, like for instance, can someone in Alabama, are you guys in Alabama, Georgia, um, give us an idea of where people are and like, yeah. or, or where you are in terms of the states and people? Because I know I've looked on your line. I think I can get you know, there's turkey hunting opportunities in Louisiana and Mississippi. Yep. and Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, we, I think technically we have listings in 30 plus states. Um, however, this comes into kind of the mechanics of building a two-sided marketplace, which is what Land Trust is. We have a demand side and a supply side. Supply is private landowners. Predominantly, they are multi-generation farm and ranch families. And we have the demand side, hunters, fishermen, other types of outdoor recreators. Um, when you're building a marketplace like ours, you do need to focus on balancing supply and demand in a specific market. For us, 
you know, right now we're active from a corporate perspective in Montana, Nebraska, and Kansas. That's where you'll see a lot of properties online and opportunities. Um, we're in the process of opening up Oklahoma, um, North Dakota, and Missouri. So, you know, those will be coming online here shortly. Um, and then, of course, it's just like a lot of these other marketplaces. You know, we have landers who hear about us and just come online and build their listing. And now we have listings mm -hmm. in New York. And so we do have listings mm -hmm. in 30 plus states. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to tell somebody in Vermont, like, hey, come on, Land Trust, because we got opportunities by you in Vermont. We don't yet. We will eventually. Right. But if you're in Vermont and you want to come out to Montana, Nebraska, Kansas, wherever, um, you know, Nebraska is a phenomenal state, over the counter rifle mule deer tags for non residents. That's like, I think it's wow. state. So, uh, you know, if you're that Vermonter that I mentioned, and you say, man, I really would love to go hunt mule deer. Well, Nebraska, you could go buy your tag and you can use Land Trust to connect with a landowner and arrange that. And so, from that perspective, hunters, no matter where you are, you, South Africa, you can book a, a hunt in, in the U.S. on private land through us. As easy as booking a, you know, a vacation rental. So, you know, that's, that's kind of like a, it's a longer answer, but I want to make sure people understand sure, why sure. we're not Straight everywhere on. yet. You have to, it takes time to build up supply. It takes time to mm -hmm. get landowners on board. So we focus our efforts mm -hmm. in key states and then we'll grow from there. Mm -hmm. No, it's great information. Um... So if there's a landowner listening to us right now and they're like, whoa, I never heard about this. I really am interested. I can potentially get some more money on my property. How can they get a hold of you, Nick? Yeah. So uh, easiest way is you can go to landtrust.com um, and there's a whole landowners page and it kind of talks about a lot of the stuff, you know, answers questions. And then we have a phone number with real live human beings sitting in Montana. Really? We'll talk to you. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, so you can call us where, you know, our landowners, um, really love how hands-on we are from a customer support perspective. If you're in one of those States I mentioned, uh, Montana, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma, we actually have people on the ground who are land trust, uh, what we call landowner success managers. So they come out to your property, they visit with you, they take photos, they do all that kind of stuff. Right. So if you're in one of those States and you're interested you give us a call. We'll set up a time. You'll meet one of our folks. They're, you know, great people. Um, they'll be able to answer all your questions and we can, you can get up and running by yourself. You know, we've had people tell us that it's easier to list their land on land trust than it is to get onto Airbnb as a land, as a host. So by all means, you don't need to speak with us. If you don't want to, you can just get on landtrust.com and create an account and, you know, get going. We do have people do that, but a lot of our, a lot of our landowners are, production agriculture they grow our food fuel and fiber and so these are busy folks and uh, we value their time so we lean a lot more in on customer service with those folks and we do a lot of the work for them well for that individual who's doing it himself how does he know what price to set it's a good question so look pricing we're creating a you know we're kind of creating a transparent liquid market there's been a market before right like leasing land has existed for a very mm -hmm. long time it's a traditional real estate transaction um, so we're, we're kind of creating this new liquid market of as little as a day. You can book my place for a day. Uh, so it's still definitely more arts and science. We do have a data scientist who's making iterations on a pricing, you know, algorithm, but uh, we can help you. You can choose whatever you want. That's the beauty of land trust. You're in control. That's your property. You set whatever price you want. Um, but if you do want a little bit of guidance or help, 
again, our folks are here to help say, hey, we think this, looking at your place, we think this range is probably in the sweet spot, but price it however you please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's certainly a unique model. And uh, as I said, we've, we've connected for quite some time and we knew about you. And uh, luckily when Matt started talking, we had a little bit of context to who you were and what you guys do. And um, I, I love the idea of, of creating access, especially for people in new places in new cities like I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what's around like how many let me go have a look and and that's good access again to get your kids involved and to lower that bar- barrier essentially to hunter recruitment retention and reactivation really at the end of the day yeah and i think for everyone who's conservation minded uh, a, a leopold quote um that that we really uh, subscribe to obviously is Conservation will ultimately boil down to rewarding the private landowner who conserves the public interest. So it's important to remember that the work they do stewarding that land for generation after generation and that habitat for that wildlife, that is a public benefit because that wildlife moves on and off their land. And, you know, we need to make sure that we remember how critical private lands are in the U.S. and obviously in other countries, but in the U.S., when having this conversation about conservation, it is not just a public lands thing. In fact, the brunt of it is probably going to come from and is coming from private landowners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said, Nick. Well said. Uh, thank you, man. Short yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it, Robbie. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.